The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. These past few weeks have been a good opportunity for us to explore the subject of Christian warfare. Uh, we are more challenged in our efforts to live for Christ than we have been at any time in my lifetime, and I'm sure it's that way for many of you. Some of you, although not many, have lived longer than me, and you've seen things that I haven't seen, and maybe there are times that you've thought were much worse. I know that we are coming down to the end of the baby boomer generation, and we are the children of those who lived during the last world war, and there aren't many soldiers who live through that war that are left, and whenever we meet one or we hear of one, we always have a profound respect for those who endured the awfulness of that conflict, and, and they did it willingly. America has been in other wars since, and I don't mean to disparage any veterans of those conflicts, but sadly we know that other wars didn't have the consensus of support of the American people that World War II did. We have a new generation that mostly complains about things, complains about the past, a generation that riots in our streets and blames America for every wrong there is and every problem they have, and they won't accept that we must be personally responsible for what we do, and these are people that won't put themselves on the line to defend our freedoms that are found in no other place of the world. There are many who have gone through much worse than what we've gone through, and because of love and country, they were willing to sacrifice their lives, and they're not the, the sniveling brats that we see with bullhorns shouting for people to burn down buildings, and of all places, their own neighborhoods. As Bible-believing Christians, we understand the root of this. The Apostle Paul described the root of it in his letter to the Ephesians when he wrote that people are dead in trespasses and sin, that they are without God, and they are aliens from the righteous government of God, and they live according to Satan, who is the prince and the power of the air. And if we are to better understand the reason that America is in so much trouble, I think that we could trace it to the decline of Bible-believing churches and of Christians who will stand up for the morality of the Scriptures and determine that we will walk in the ways that God tells us to walk. And so as our commitment diminishes, so does the protection that faith affords. I've always been a proponent that America has escaped the worst that Satan does because God protected us because we're a nation that evangelized the world. We had a godly standard that we live by, and God gave us resources to shower on the rest of the world. But as the church declines, so does the influence of Christianity, and the powers of darkness are ramped up. And this is what we see today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is ignored in our country more than any other time of our history. 
Now, reading Ephesians is not like reading the history of Christianity in America because when Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus, there was no history of righteousness and morality. There, was no, there were no government leaders that grew up with a Christian background and understood anything of what it meant to serve the one true living God. No, from day one in the life of a Christian convert, there was terrible hatred and opposition on every side. And so Paul wrote strongly and convincingly that every hardship that we endure as Christians is worth it. Our lives and the fights that we go through are for the blessings of another kingdom that are not of this world. And so the Christian endures all the temporal hardships for God's glory and for the eternal fellowship that we have with God and the enjoyment of the riches of his Son. And this is what Paul explains in chapter 1 before he speaks of the world's condition and, and the need to be armed and ready to fight the unseen powers of darkness. No, he writes about our confidence in Christ because of our faith and the desire that he has that God would settle us and, and confirm us in the faith that we might come into the fullness of God. And he explains how Christians are to live so that we experience all the blessings that are available in this life before we move on to the next. And really, the way that we live this life is by scratching and clawing in the faith for every inch of ground we gain. Now, Satan, who is the, the god of this world, doesn't give up his territory easily, and so he shoots fiery darts from every angle to stop the church from gaining any ground in this spiritual war. Well, in this chapter, there are instructions about preparing for battle and how we can survive every attack that Satan foments against the church. But if we're not careful, we'll read Ephesians, and especially this last part, with a view towards the power of the enemy, the power of Satan against us, rather than the power of God for us. And so I think that we would be wise to consider this last part of Ephesians in the same way that we look at the first. In the first chapter, the apostle taught that God predestined his people to victory, that he has a divine purpose to bring each of his children to glory. Before the world was created, his plans were in place, his people were chosen, and in time he works in them according to the good pleasure of his will. Now in this part of chapter 6, God's method of bringing his children to glory is warfare. It's to equip them to safely navigate the hazards of an enemy that's relentless. Now in chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, Paul speaks of our preparations for warfare. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now the emphasis is not the power of Satan against us, but the power of God for us. You'll notice how often that Paul refers to God. He, he says, be strong in the Lord. And when he speaks of the armor, he calls it God's armor. Put on the whole armor of God. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Well, this complete armor is spelled out for us piece by piece in verses 13 through 17. There's the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel. There's the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And then Paul ends that section 
by saying that we must bathe in prayer all of this and recognize the source of all of our spiritual graces who is the Holy Spirit. Now we will consider each part of this armor individually in the coming weeks but for now I'd like for us to consider the entirety of the armor the apostle says take unto you the whole armor of God this phrase the whole armor is one word in Greek and I hesitate to tell you the Greek word because we don't speak Greek and so that may be too much information but I think it's important here because we do use a transliteration of the Greek word in the English language. Charles Wesley wrote this word in his hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise. You may be familiar with it. Wesley wrote, Stand then in his great might with all his strength endued, but take to arm you for the fight, the panoply of God. Panoply is from the Greek panoplia, Ten panoplyon is this phrase, the whole armor of God. And besides this text, there's only one other place in the New Testament where this is used. It's found in Luke 11:22, where Jesus teaches about Satan. And he refers to Satan as a strong man who is armed. And then he refers to himself as a stronger man who comes in and overtakes the other and spoils his goods. This is from Luke 11:21 and 22. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth the spoils. So the stronger man comes in and takes all the other man's armor, all his armor. That's panoplia. And this is what Jesus does when he saves us. The devil had his way with us. He controlled us. No one could disturb him or challenge him. He owned us, so to speak, and we were his house. Our life was his domain. But Jesus is stronger than the devil. And he comes in and he overtakes him and he takes possession of his house. And then it becomes the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus protects his possessions so they can never fall into the hands of Satan again. Now, this is a, a wonderful thought to know that Jesus saves and keeps us. But it's also important to understand that God has methods by which he does this. And part and parcel to his safekeeping methods is to provide the armor of protection, the panoply of God. Now, remember, the Bible teaches that a Christian is required to persevere in the faith. We're not passive bystanders in our sanctification, but we press on in our Christian lives. And we go on by perseverance, a perseverance that is promised and guaranteed by the unceasing work of Christ for us. Now, as believing the gospel is the means of salvation, so the armor of God is our preservation. It's our perseverance and using this armor. That's a means of sanctification of and of carrying us into our final salvation and the glories of heaven. Now, if you'll continue to listen, let me speak for a few minutes, giving an overview of the panoply, the whole armor of God. For what purpose is this armor? Well, we'll look at that first. The purpose of the armor is to stand. The armor is protection that enables us to stand. 
Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13 tells us to take the ten panoplyon, the panoply, that you may be able to withstand and having done all to stand. Now these verses clearly indicate that you can't stand, you can't withstand the weapons of Satan without this protection. Now if you think for a moment the, the type of battle that Paul and these people were familiar with, they knew nothing of push-button warfare. Nobody sat in air-conditioned offices and fired ballistic missiles from hundreds of miles away. Oh, their battles were fought hand-to-hand. -hand. They were fought face-to-face, -face, and they were brutal. They used shields to deflect arrows that rained down from above and to keep away uh, swords that were thrust at them and spears that were thrown into a mass of men. And if you would do anything other than just lie in a ditch then you'd better wear your armor. If you were going to stand on your feet, you needed protection. Now Paul said if a Christian is to go head to head with Satan then, and his powers of darkness, then he must have the full armor of God. At any moment, Satan is ready to pick you off in the unguarded place. As Wesley wrote in his hymn, Leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul, but take every virtue, every grace, and fortify the whole. Without it, you won't be able to stand. You will be weak and you will fall. And the reason that Christians fall is missing armor. They haven't put on every piece of armor that God says you must wear because if you do, you will stand. But why do you need this armor? I think for two main reasons. First would be because of the strength of the enemy. Now, in our previous lessons, we have discussed the power of Satan and his legions of evil angels. And you're aware of many places in Scripture where it speaks of the strength of this opposition. And I'm not going to break that down again, but we, we do need to remember that we have an enemy that has more talent, that has more firepower than humans, and that we have no strength to operate in the spiritual world, which is his stomping ground. He has power over the mind, over our senses, over the will, over emotions. I mean, there isn't a part of us that he doesn't affect and keep us blindless, blinded and, and helpless. Oh, his, his power is compared to that of a God, so that he is called the God of this world. So make no mistake, he is strong and you are vulnerable to his attacks. And you need this armor because you can't stand those attacks. You'll be crushed the first time you pop up your head. And I think there are many Christians that have a false idea. They think I'm saved and so I have the power of God and I rest in that power. And the, really the key word to that is the word rest because when they think of rest, they think sit down and rest. Just don't do anything. And that's what many of them do. They don't do anything. And they haven't learned how to use God's power. Now it's great to have the power of God. And we must have his power. But power alone does not cover up vulnerabilities. America is a powerful nation. But power alone didn't stop terrorists from killing 3,000 people on our soil on 9-11. Power alone didn't stop 18 ships from being sunk in Pearl Harbor in World War II. 
And I certainly don't mean to be critical of our national defenses and what was going on in September the 11, 2001, but we were a powerful nation that had become complacent. We've seen, we'd seen terrorist attacks in other countries, and we just thought it can't happen here. In the early 90s, I was in Munich, Germany, and we were cautious, or they were cautious, and they were aware of what terrorists could do. Some years before, they'd seen this firsthand when Arabs killed 11 Israelis at the 1972 Summer Olympics. And then during the 90s, there were frequent terrorist, terrorist attacks that were, that were happening all over Europe. And I remember flying into Munich, and when the plane landed, I could see tanks and machine guns on, on the runway. And when we went into the terminal, there were soldiers everywhere with automatic weapons. And I remember there were some tourists that were sitting in an area, and they decided they wanted to get up to get something to eat, and they left their bags behind. And in just a few minutes, there were soldiers that came in and whisked away all of their bags and took them to be destroyed. Now, you see, they were aware of a terrorist threat, and they kept their guard up. When you land in Tel Aviv, Israel, the military presence is noticeable. Soldiers with automatic weapons are seen in every public place throughout Israel. It's because they live with the constant threat of terrorist attacks, and so they keep their guard up. America is the most powerful nation on the planet Earth, but our power alone did not stop those attacks on 9-11. America has the most powerful navy on the planet. In fact, our navy is so superior that other nations don't even think of putting their ships on the seas with us. Nobody challenges America on the seas. But a few years ago, when the defenses were down... There was a small boat that was carrying explosives that came alongside the USS Cole while it was refueling in Yemen. The Cole is a guided missile destroyer. I was on a similar destroyer just a few years ago, returning from Hawaii, and they demonstrated the power of that ship as they were blowing up targets in the Pacific. But when the USS Cole was attacked, it wasn't by a powerful ship. It was by a peanut boat that they thought was picking up garbage. But that boat had a bomb on it, and it blew a hole in the ship and killed 17 sailors. And this is what Paul is talking about. You must have the armor on, but you must be vigilant, and you must wear it and be watchful. Knowledge that you have access to the armor is not enough. So God's means of protection against a powerful army is for us to use the whole armor. You need it all because of the strength of the enemy. And then you also need it because of the stealth of the enemy. The incident with the USS Cole is a case in point about stealth. The attacks of 9-11 were examples of stealth. When the terrorists took over those planes that flew into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon and the one that crashed in a field in Pennsylvania, the terrorists didn't board those planes in full military gear. They didn't board the planes with grenades and other explosives. No, they just dressed normally, and they boarded with concealed box cutters. Satan uses stealth. He has wiles. He has tricks to attack when you least expect it. Now, Paul made an interesting comment in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, in our text, it's talking about standing. And in 1 Corinthians, there's, a, there's an interesting 
uh, way that this is put to us, he puts it to us like it's possible for you to think that you're standing, but you're wobbly and you're about to fall. And what he had in mind was a person who has just gone through a wonderful spiritual experience and he thinks that everything is great, that he's conquered it all. And so he sits back and begins to enjoy the spoils of his victory. He referenced in that text Israel's march through the Red Sea on dry ground. He mentioned the manna and the quail, the water that came from the rock. But then when Israel got into the wilderness, they were drawn away by their lust. And eventually, all these people that experienced that great triumph of the Red Sea died in the desert and never made it to the promised land. You see, they had their great spiritual experience, but they weren't ready for the conflict in the wilderness. David had the same experience. When he conquered his enemies, he succumbed to pride. He looked at the great battles that he won and then the devil came and tempted him to number the people. Oh, that didn't seem to be too serious, but the devil knew better because numbering the people was to dismiss God as the source of the victory. This is the reason you need the armor because some attacks are not recognized as attacks until it's too late. So it is great to have strength and power, but you need more. You need protection. And without it, the sneaky attacks of Satan will cause you to fall. Now we look at a second consideration, and this is the people who wear the armor. Who are they? Well, these are the saints. One of the popular opinions about Paul's reason to, to use the analogy of armor is because he was chained to a Roman soldier in prison, and he could look over the guard and he could visualize, well, how can I make a comparison that everyone will understand? And so he would look at the guard's shield and his helmet and his breastplate. And Paul may have used that as the basis. That was real. But what might be more probable is that he was such a student of the word that he thought and meditated on scripture continually. Most likely then there is a scripture in Isaiah that came to his mind in which Isaiah wrote that the Messiah put on armor. When there was no one to bring justice, God stepped in to do it himself. And in Isaiah 59, verse 17, For he, that is the Messiah, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Now in Ephesians, when Paul says to put on armor, it's because this is God's personal armor. When we're told to put on truth, well, it's not just any truth. This is God's truth. When we put on righteousness, it's not man's righteousness. This is God's perfect righteousness. When we put on faith, it's not faith in something. No, it's God's faith. It's faith that God gives. And when we put on the helmet of salvation, whose salvation is it? That's God's salvation. That's God's gospel. It's God's good news. And this makes it clear that only God's people can wear the armor. You could never go to a lost person and, and say, well, the answer to your problem is you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean to him? He doesn't know what you're talking about. Or you may say, well, here's what you need. You, you must guard yourself with truth. And what will he immediately say? Well, which truth are you talking about? Whose truth is that? Everybody has their own truth. What thousands of truths do you mean? 
See, a lost person has no point of reference. He can't put on God's armor because he knows nothing about God. So what does this tell us about the armor? Well, it tells us first that it's perfectly suited for the Christian. When you put this armor on, it fits perfectly. It's not tailored for the lost. It doesn't fit anywhere for them. But the Christian discovers that this armor is just what he needs, that every part fits as it is supposed to. And that's because when you are made a new creature in Christ, you are made to be like him so that his clothes fit you perfectly. You know, when I think of this, I think of David who rejected Saul's armor. Saul offered his armor to protect David when he went up against Goliath. But David said, I can't wear this. It doesn't fit. Saul's armor wasn't God's armor. So David went up against Goliath, but he went with God's armor. Goliath couldn't see it. He thought it was foolish that David would approach him bare without an armor. And so he said, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. But that armor was there, and there was no chance the giant would win. Now, I think there are Christians who have the wrong idea about what they wear when they put on Christ's clothing. Well, they have the idea of a tie-dye shirt. And they speak in wispy, flowery language. They're afraid to identify sin. They won't call for repentance and contrition. They want to sit around in yoga style and talk about peace, love, and harmony. Christians don't strategize against Satan any longer with war parties. They have jammy parties. Let's put on our jammies. Let's have a slumber party. It'll be so much fun. We can have a pillow fight and we can tell funny stories all night. We can talk about our feelings and we can bond with each other. This is not a jammy party. This is warfare. Remember what Joshua told his troops? Be strong. Be courageous. That's what we read, isn't it? Be strong. Be courageous. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. So Paul had no taste for frilly Christianity that we have today. If you came to Paul with a seeker-sensitive model of church, he would say, well, who are you kidding with that? Get rid of that sweet-smelling, compromising foolishness and go out there and fight the devil tooth and nail. Don't surrender anything to him. But that's not today's Christianity. No, today we have a cool plan. We have a seminar to go to. We have survey sheets so we can question the lost about what they'd like to see if they were to come to church. And so we check out the seekers to see whether they like lattes or do they like mocha coffee with a dash of whipped cream while they watch entertainment at church. Now, Christians today don't want strong doctrine. They don't want a sword and a shield to fight the devil. They fight him with donuts and coffee cake. Well, the first thing you see at church is the coffee pot, then throw up your antenna and scan for the devil. But Paul talks about an armor that is perfectly suited for the child of God. This armor is about faith and righteousness and truthfulness and the word that pierces like a sword and divides the joints from the marrow. This is an armor that slices and dices the spiritually dead. And this brings me to this observation it is providentially supplied for the Christian. God supplies the armor. And he's specific about who gets it. It only fits his people. He gives it only to his people. And this is where maybe we need to back up just a little, little to remind us that we're not talking about material things. Certainly Paul does use a physical illustration. But he applies it in the spiritual realm. 
we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so the weapons that we use are not physical weapons. And if you glance down to verses 14 to 17 again, there you see the loins that are girt about with truth, and there is a breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, and so on. Who but a spiritual person could use these weapons? Oh, false Christianity relies on an armor that's made of different elements. False Christians use shields and breastplates and helmets of a different sort. Their protection is found in their prayers to Mary, to saints and to angels. They take the mass, they say the rosary, they clutch a crucifix, or they may work their emotions into a frenzy and speak gibberish and roll on the floor. But true Christians are recognized by the proper armor. None of these other things are providentially supplied. They're man-made. And if you really wanted to pinpoint the source of it, these things are devilish. They have Satan's seal of approval. Because anything that is man-made in religion is not really man-made. It's Satan-made. And this is the reason that we are clear that there are only two spirits that are at work in the world. Either it is the spirit of Christ or it is the spirit of Antichrist. Either it's the Holy Spirit or it's the devil. And what us, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now if it's not the biblically defined faith of Jesus and the apostles, it is satanic in origin. And you are in trouble if you let the devil supply your armor. But if the devil does it, certainly give him his due. He deserves the credit for his diabolically twisted doctrines. And we're not afraid to give you the right information from, from this pulpit. And we'll not sit in our jammies and sip a cup of tea with the soldiers of Satan. So there is a purpose for the armor. It's for us to stand. There are the people of the armor. These are the saints of God. Only the saints, redeemed believers in Jesus Christ. And now thirdly is the protection of the armor. And this is our salvation. Now let's go back to this earlier thought of power without defense. We are vulnerable to the devil's attacks even though we have the unlimited resources of God's power. Every Christian has the resources but not every Christian wins their daily battles. They're saved. And by the grace of God, they remain saved, and they will to the end. But the journey to final salvation is not pleasant. They live defeated lives, and they're disgruntled Christians. This armor protects us in our daily salvation. And maybe you don't understand this, but the Bible teaches that not only are we saved for heaven in the future, but we are also being saved in the present. The Bible teaches that salvation has past, present, and future applications. And in the past tense, we were saved from the penalty of sin. The past salvation comes when you initially put your faith in Jesus Christ. In the present, we are being saved from the power of sin. And then in the future, we will be saved from the presence of sin. And what we're considering now in these messages is that middle one. We are in the present. We are being saved from the power of sin. And that's what the armament business is about. It's so that sin will not have dominion over you in this present life. And if you don't put on the armor, the present tense of sin, which is that you are being saved from sin's power, is not in process. 
The present tense is where we find the doctrine of sanctification. In our victory over sin, we are sanctified and we are useful to the cause of Christ. Now, very simply, a Christian without God's armor is useless. He has no personal victory and he has no value for converting the lost. Now, let's make two points as we sum up our discussion of preparations. This concept of panoply, that is all important. Remember, it is the whole armor. And where do we get this whole armor? It comes from, first, it comes from the whole body of faith. It comes from the whole spectrum of Christian doctrine. To the extent that we fail in doctrine, we're not completely covered by the armor. We can't ignore any of the doctrines of God's word. And this is what has gone seriously wrong in most churches. I can't help but recall a man who visited one of our Wednesday evening Bible classes. He attends another church and, and teaches one of their classes. And we were discussing the many theological issues in Romans. And I think he was exasperated. I think he saw it as a waste of time. And so he asked, well, why don't we just talk about the love of Jesus? Why don't we just bask in the love of Jesus? Let me tell you something about the love of Jesus. You'll never understand the love of Jesus until you have some semblance of understanding of the person of Jesus. You need to know him. Who is Jesus? Well, he is the very word of God. Every time that we crack open the pages of the Bible and we start talking about doctrine, we are unpacking the person of Jesus. In Colossians 3, 16 and 17, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. If you don't get down to the nitty-gritty of learning the Word of God, then you'll never get to the true meaning of who Christ is. You won't understand His love, and neither will you practice the Word of God. There is no correct practice without correct doctrine. Now, if, if we are to be saved in the presence from the dominion, the power of sin, then we must take the whole counsel of God's Word. When Paul met with Ephesian elders at Miletus, he made two important statements that are pertinent to this discussion. He said in Acts 20, 20, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. And the 27th verse, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He kept back nothing. He gave them the whole counsel of God because all of it's profitable and then he told the Ephesian elders, go back, do the same to your people. He said, feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Give them all the doctrine. And that's what it means to feed the church of God. So friends, this is the reason that we study the Bible. It's why we read the Bible. It's why we use only the Bible in preaching. This is the reason we take time in every service to mine the scriptures. It's because I want you to have it all I don't want you to have just a caricature of Jesus. If you don't get it all, then you get just a thumbnail picture of him that's only big enough to put into a locket to wear around your neck. Now, we want you to have a picture of Jesus that stretches from sky to sky. 
You want to know about the love of Jesus? Listen to Colossians again. Colossians chapter 2. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and into all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No, our Wednesday night classes are not pajama parties. We're preparing for war. Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. And that statement doesn't mean just simply saving faith in the gospel. It means the whole body of faith, the entire body of Christian doctrine. It is the whole armor. And now finally, our protection comes from the whole body of faith. We must have that, but also it covers the whole body of the Christian. Now, as we study this armor further, we, we will discover that it's enough to cover the entire body in a frontal assault. And I know there's much made about the fact that there is nothing to cover the back in this list. Jesus said in Luke 9:62, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There is nothing for the back because God gives you no reason to turn around. You don't need to. He doesn't expect that you'll turn around and run from the fight. Oh, his armor is effective for its purpose. He won't cover your backside when you're running from the fight, so you can't expect you will fall if you're headed in the wrong direction. Oh, God supplies enough and more than enough protection when we put on the whole armor. Now, the world has bits and pieces of it. There are some things that will help you in some areas. I think of preachers who preach the power of positive thinking. And you say, well, is it good to be a positive thinker? Well, no doubt there is some value in it. Can you get a, a, a good platitude amidst all the senseless teachings of some of these people like Osteen? Well, there might be something in there. But what is the intelligence or where is that intelligence and in wading through all the garbage to get to it? Oh, sure, there are elements of truth in it. Even Islam has elements of truth. But what they don't have is the full protection that covers every area in which the devil attacks. And you know something? It's not the protected part that kills you. It's the unprotected part. Every part must be covered. Oh, you may look at the list and you'd say, well, which piece of armor is the most important in the list? And that's very hard to determine because any unprotected part is potential for failure and thus the command put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand when David threw that stone at Goliath he only needed a sliver of space above the bridge of the nose to get that rock through his armor and this is why Charles Wesley wrote leave no unguarded place no weakness of the soul take every virtue every grace and fortify the whole and this is what you call the panoply of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and acknowledge that we need your power. We need your might. We need your watch care. We also know, Lord, that we need to learn to be vigilant, to watch out, to look around, to be careful about the devil because he's out there around every corner waiting to take us down. Lord, I pray that your people would be 
faithful to you. And as we go through these problems that we're having not being able to meet, we know it's very, very difficult for folks. And sometimes we may even feel abandoned. But we can take the word of God, begin to read, and there we find strength and courage. And just like Joshua told his men, be strong, be courageous. We can do that because we have the power of God. And we have an armor to wear that we can use to fight, defend ourselves against Satan and all of his attacks. We thank you, Lord, for our church. We thank you for an opportunity like this to be able to preach the word of God. Uh, this wouldn't have been available in, in, in some other era than ours. And, Lord, we, we see how you have a way of getting the gospel out in so many different venues. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We ask you to bless our people. We ask you to give them strength. And most of all, we do pray that we will be back in church and we'll have that fellowship with one another again and draw strength from it. Thank you, Lord, for your people and for those who, with courage, are still standing for the faith of Jesus Christ. We do thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now I'd like to give you a final word of benediction. This is from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And we're all familiar with Paul's second letter to Timothy. As it talks so much about warfare and fighting. And Paul's encouragement to Timothy to stand as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he writes in the first chapter. And beginning in verse number 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Good words from the apostle. Good words for us to live by. Remember who holds our commitment. Go with God. Be safe. We hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Broner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.